Um, good morning. I am so glad to be here. Um, honestly, I did not know that John Street was going to be here. So doing a Q&A with John Street here is a little weird, but that's okay. Uh, because you can ask me a question, I'm going to go, John? <laughs> so uh, again, I never, we never come up here, you know, pretending like uh, we are the end all. Um, so don't stump me, but it's, I'm very... I'm very focused on practical things, not just theology, but just practical application of that. But one, way, one thing I would ask you for is just to pray for Lori and Jude. So we went to Cambria uh, on Friday and traveled down there. Man, what a beautiful trip. If you've never been down there, it was so exceptional and um, it was just incredible. And we got there and spent the night with the football team. That was a little crazy. And then um, got up and spent the day kind of in the village there and kind of going around and had some fun, a lot of coffee and just treats. And then we played the football game last night at 6, and it wasn't over till 8.30, and I just knew I couldn't spend the night, so I just got in my car, and I drove back, um, and I got back by 11.30, so I'm a little bit, you know, something about going 100 miles an hour, no, I'm kidding, uh, uh, I've got to get back, uh, but it was a little bit of a surreal thing, I've never really traveled that far by myself, but anyway, so Lori and Jude are coming back, so pray for their safe travel. So this is Q&A. Um, by the way, people here that are new, uh, and this is the first time you've been here, yeah, you just got to settle in. You got to trust God and stay here. That's the thing. Uh, because it's really a wonderful place. I think we're like Grace Community Church's best kept secret, if you ask me. You know? uh, changing rooms, real quick. Um, I, it's, he is so kind, uh, John. The way he put that, he's just so benevolent and just kind and just generous. But the truth is, we're going. Uh, so, so just upstairs, there's one more flight. The only thing he didn't tell you is, guys, here's the upside. Ladies, here's the downside. The upside, men's restroom upstairs, finally. We'll be on the right floor. Ladies, you gotta, if you're going to visit, visit as you're coming up. Because otherwise, you've got to go down and come back up again, so just so you know. But that's it. It's the exact same size room. We have access to the uh, kitchen. And honestly, and this is what John was saying, we're just team players here. I've been, every time I get reassigned, I was reassigned here, I think, like seven years ago. I was in Cornerstone for nine years. I was at the Guild for three years. And I'm just a soldier, and I go wherever they tell me to go. And, and then you just see the richness of, it's not about the location, it's about the people anyway. But it's going to be the exact same. You're going to have like a deja vu. You're going to think, do we switch? It's the exact same thing. Uh, and we'll have a camera here, so we might be doing some filming that might be helpful for our uh, podcast that we might create. So anyway, yeah, yeah, I think that's a good idea, just to tell them, don't go here, go upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> It happened to me the other day. It was so funny. I, I was talking to someone as I'm climbing the stairs, and finally we finished the conversation, and I came in the room, and I saw Brad Armstrong, one of our elders, and he goes, hey, Tom. And I'm going, hey, welcome. And he said, welcome to you. And I thought, welcome to me. And I was on the third floor. I walked the whole time, and I'm going, oh, oh, this is odd. So um, it's only a few steps more. I didn't even notice it. So, um, so questions about theology, about life uh, in the church about uh, everything that you might throw at me. And again, if it gets too tough, I will defer to John Street. So, but I've got a Bible here, so that's what he's going to use too. So. so questions, anything. We're going to get a microphone to come around. We do this from time to time, and the only reason we did it is because I was just asked to do it. We're starting uh, Psalms, the study of Psalms, next Sunday. And that's going to be a great... Please tell everybody that you know. Just tell people, each one of you, just bring one more person. We'll stack it up in here. It's going to be a really deep beautiful 
I think, series based on something that's the, one of the most famous passages in all of the Bible are just the Psalms. We're not probably going to do all 150 of them. Who knows? We did all of Job, so it might happen. But it's going to be really just an experience of seeing how God deals with his people as they go through trials and, and how they express themselves to him, how they sing to him, and what it is that they ask him and be, beseech him and petition him for. So I think it's going to be wonderful. I'm so excited. So is John, and we'll start it next Lord's Day. But I wanted to get a little bit of a buffer time to study a little bit more so we could do a Q&A. So here I am. You don't want to ask anything. Okay, let's pray and go to in and out <laughs> It's okay if we have to do that. So, question, anything? Yes? I was talking to somebody on the phone the other day. Matthew 20, where uh, the parable of the, um, the paying of the guys, you know, where, where the, the landowner hires people in the third hour and then he, in the sixth hour and so forth. Right. So, you know, the, the idea, I guess, is that Jesus was pointing out that when you, when you get to heaven, you, you all get there the same way, uh, whether you start early or not. Is that referring to, to, to the Jews that had lived their lives under the law and did everything right, and then uh, now suddenly the Gentiles are brought in and then they can jump in and... Uh, go to heaven. Yeah, it is partially about that. <clears throat> and, you know, when you start to, to understand anything, I think, in the scriptures, first and foremost, what's the most important principle, would you say, of Bible interpretation? Context. context that's it. You guys are great. So uh, it's like real estate, you know, context, 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 location, location, location. It's where is it located? And so when you go back uh, from chapter 20, you keep going back, and you can just sit there and say, who is he talking to? Who is it that is the emphasis? It says in chapter 19, now it happened that when Jesus had finished these words, he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him. So this is in that general uh, kind of theme of testing. And so you know the congregation, you're like during the Sermon on the Mount, you know that I've got the disciples here. These are who I'm teaching. But outside of the disciples, there's people who are listening. And outside the people who are listening, not just to the conversation of the disciples, are the Pharisees and the people who, again, follow Jesus around with just scorn. It's almost like every time he went to any gathering, you just, they just showed up, you know, and they're not there because they want healing and they're not there because they love him. They're there to, to find a trap for him because they did not believe he was the son of God. They did not believe he was the Messiah. So sometimes just realizing that, that the, that the context is who's listening to him, who's directly listening to him in the shorter context and in the broader context, who was also in the environment that he's at. So yes, to answer this short question, it's, it's not so much about everybody goes to heaven in the same way uh, as much as it's everyone goes to heaven according to God's predetermined time. And he's, he's the one that always saves through faith in his son. And it doesn't matter if you were first in line or last in line. It doesn't matter if you were, does this make sense? Like you're the first person to show up and you worked all day in the field. Or if you were at the very end, you can think of the thief on the cross at the very last moment coming in and, you know, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus says, you'll be in my kingdom you'll be in paradise today. And then can you imagine the people that were watching that at the bottom of the cross sitting there going, well, that's not fair. He's not baptized. He didn't have a life to live the Christian life. He's just like instant heaven. 
And in fact, that's the greatest guarantee in all of Scripture. If, if I was anybody, this is going to sound weird, Lord, know, know my heart, I would want to be the thief on the cross because that was guarantee you will be with me today, not tomorrow, not when you die one day, today I'll, you'll be with me. Man, what, a, what an assurance that would be, just be with him. But So I think that's what he's trying to address. He says right before that, many who are first will be last. He says, Peter says, behold, we have left everything. And then will, what will there be for us? And Jesus says, truly, I say to you that you have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. You shall sit upon the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my namesake will receive 100 times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first immediate context. So he's talking to the really initially to Peter, but then broadly, those who are listening, and then even more broadly, the Pharisees are going to basically hate what he just said. Um, does, that, does that help? So I think, to me, we, you know, we call ourselves grammatical, historical, uh, hermeneutics. You know, in other words, the word hermeneutic, meaning how we interpret the Scripture, is historical. We want to understand, uh, and grammatical, we understand the grammar. But I think we need to add to that, I always say it, I'm a, I'm a grammatical, historical, contextual interpreter of Scripture because without the context, you can pluck anything out of the Bible and make it mean anything that you want. You know where you see that a lot is the Proverbs. You know, you can just go to the Proverbs, get a proverb out, boom, that's what it is. Uh, you know, and you haven't considered, as we did when I went through the context of the Proverbs, Chapter 1 through 9, the context is really clear. Chapter 30, 31, it's pretty clear because it's more kind of expositional. But when you have all those clusters of themes, many times people don't think through uh, what, are the, what are the proverbs around it? What is the theme here that you can explore? And remember, if I told you this, and I don't mean to be just going off on this, it's, it's been on my mind. I'm thinking about what am I going to write for? Demon. You know, <laughs> Tom's writing a demon? Isn't that- Hasn't C.S. Lewis already done that? With screw tape letters? No, 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 no. That's not what I mean. A D men. We'll have to figure a different way to do that. But it says at the very end of Ecclesiastes, the preacher sought to find delightful words and words of written, uh, truth written uprightly. And he says, in addition to, um, excuse me, no, no, uh, ch- uh, verse 9, in addition to being taught the people knowledge, and he pondered, searched out, and here's the key word, arranged many proverbs. So he arranged many proverbs. So there's an arrangement to the Proverbs. Again, context. So I just always think if you're going to teach anything, if you're going to talk about anything in the Scripture, make sure you read what's before it and what's after it, because otherwise you can get trapped into saying something that's not actually biblical, even though you're quoting the Bible. Isn't that ironic? Well, the Bible says, yeah, but that's not what it means. Well, how do you know it's not what it means? Because look at the context. So (sighs) that was easy. Okay, uh, (laughs) I'm just kidding. So... So now someone's going to ask me about dispensationalism, I know. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, Mike. So my boss is a uh, Baptist, so he's uh, an Armenian. Yeah. And we're talking to him, and I talked to him about being the called, and then he, you know, said, well, Jesus died for the world. And I told him, well, the world at large in general, but can you just get to uh, some things, how to talk to him, to, um, you know, explain it to him a little bit more in depth on how to, um, that not everyone 
you know, it's nothing that you can do. And I kind of told that to him, but he, you know, he had the the back Baptist talking place, I guess. And yeah, well, first of all, I'm glad you're talking to him. That's great because, you know, if you can do that and still be at work and not get fired, that's a great thing. <laughs> you know. That's great. That's so encouraging. That's great. Well, first of all, having a Bible study at work is so encouraging. And the fact you guys are talking and not being angry at each other is really great, too. You know, just two verses popped to mind. The first one, I know everybody knows it, is John 3.16. So, what, you know, if God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that they might have eternal life, it, the inference is that they might not perish either, right? So the, the, not everybody is of the entire world, but travesty, that is, that some would be lost if he died for their sin. Yeah, Jesus, oh, thank you very much. How'd you, how'd you know? <laughs> I'm obviously tired. Um, so the first one is, you know, the potential. People say he potentially died for everybody, but not literally died for everyone. Um, but then, and there's two questions you had here. One is, uh, you know, again, it, why would he die for everyone? Well, because he didn't die for everyone. He died for the elect. He died for all who would believe on him. And you don't know if he believed on him until you believe on him. So that would be my short answer on that. And then the other one would be just Ephesians 2, 1, you know, where it says, you know, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive in Christ. He made us alive. By the way, Jay, I just want to say hi. I just want to say welcome back. I'm just glad you're here, okay? And Jay, yeah, you. <laughs> so... Uh, some people, just tell everybody else that has been hanging out for two years, it's, it's safe, it's good now, it's, we're back, you know, it's true, it really is true, we're fine. I've been here the whole time, and look at me. <laughs> I'm not dead yet. <laughs> it's like that Monty Python movie, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so Ephesians 2, sorry, I have a little acting background, so... <laughs> People, people start having rumors. Rumors. He watches movies. No, not anymore. But a lot of them in the past. Uh, no, I do watch stuff. Christian movies only. Um, <laughs> Christian movies that I'm in. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yes, yeah, like and um, you can just go in the best places. I think is First Corinthians chapter one, because when you go there, you know, if you read all the First Corinthians, you know that is a that's a tough church. There's a lot of problems in that church. And um, it, it comes from a, uh, one man's son is with his wife. It has uh, lawsuits against each other. There's just so many problems in the church. And yet he starts with, to the church, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Remember, he's, he knows all these people in the church. There's some, as they say, some saints and some ain'ts. And you know they're in the church. You just don't know who they are. But in general, he says... With all who in every place call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you in Christ Jesus. Uh, he says, I just flipped the page too much. Um, um, I got this new Bible, and John just noticed it, but it's so hard with the pages uh, being turned. He says, um, he goes, I, uh, you're not lacking any gift awaiting the revelation who will also confirm you to the end beyond any reproach. He's speaking to them as believers. He's speaking to them as, regardless of what's going on in this church, believe. Let me go real quick also to 2 Corinthians where he speaks of, um, well, he speaks of them as those who have been comforted. 
My point being is, and I'm not making it really well, is that even in the churches where you might have some doubts as to their salvation, he still talks about their calling. He still talks about the calling of the, they, they have been called, and they have been, they're called on God and have been called into Christ. And so, again, in verse 9, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And if you go through there and just look at the times he said that, it's amazing. Same thing with Ephesians, like I said. So what am I saying? First of all, not everybody is saved even though Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. That could be interpreted of the world, meaning not just the Jews, but the Gentiles and the Jews, the world. Uh, But it also could be understood as he died for everyone who would be delivered because we know some will be lost. More than some will be lost. The, The gate is narrow that leads to eternal life. And the broad way is just that. It's broad. And many go by that way. Does that make sense? Well, of course it makes sense to you, but could you use it, do you think? Yeah. You're not shooting at anybody, Mike. You're, you're, you're sharing. <laughs> Can I share something with you? It's just the difference between, like, putting it in their throat, you know. I'm, I'm glad you're doing it, though. It's a great, great thing. Sometimes people talk about evangelism. We had a lot of questions last time about evangelism. And evangelism in the workplace is, there's a guy that came to me the other day talking about how, I talked to him about this. He, he almost like had a, like a badge of honor that he was, you know, evangelizing. And the boss was saying, you know, don't do that. You're going to get fired. And he goes, so I, find, I found other ways to do it. And, and I'm just thinking, you know, you need to share the gospel. You need to respect your boss. You need to do your job because that's really your great Christian testimony is by submitting to them. And I wouldn't make like every little moment there. Lunchtime, great. If you're not getting paid for it, that's great. Uh, you can do anything on your own. But build relationships with them. Take them to outside the, the workplace. You know, have a, take them to a ball game or something or something, just even in a car ride. Man, three hours to Cambria. You have three hours of a captive audience to be able to talk to someone. And I think that's the best opportunity, not to take away your zeal for evangelism, but just to think, you know, if, I, if, I ha- if that's your only way of actually dealing with unbelievers, branch out so your boss sees that you're respectful too. But you are obviously doing that, which is great. So, he, oh, you're talking, about, uh, you're talking to your boss about yeah, this. this what even better thing. Is it okay if I talk to you about the gospel that you already believe in uh, on company time? <laughs> wow, that's great. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. I have a lot of questions, but um, (laughs) (laughs) that's okay. um, So, just to kind of extend that a little bit, in Revelations, I know that there's a a portion in there that talks about how you know the names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and they get what it appears to me is that they get struck out as people reject or they don't don't accept the call. Right. right. So I just want to know, you know, if that's somewhat of an emphasis or extends a little bit what you were just talking about, how yeah. there's this election or calling, um, but those who reject basically get, you know, and then it's kind of a twofer. I don't know <laughs> if I can. I also, just to add to that, in, 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 um, as it relates to Revelation, when you say that we need to look contextually how would you recommend that we look at revelations in general? Because there's a lot there that Tante not explain. So just, I know it's two, but... No, it's great. First of all, <laughs> go to gracechurch.org. Um, 
slash joint heirs. And there's this man named Dr. John Street that did like a thousand-year study in that book. And uh, you just pick the passage, and he will have answered it. He was very detailed, meticulous, and excellently done. So that's one thing. I mean, there's John MacArthur has also preached on that many times, just the whole book. But because you're in joint heirs, and will remain in joint heirs, hopefully, uh, <laughs> that uh, John Street has an excellent study of that. But um, the, the short answer, of, and also I think there's, there's books that you can buy just about hermeneutics, which is, um, again, the interpretation of Scripture, how to interpret it. And the, the, the one that I used, I don't even know if it's uh, in stock anymore, it's called Evangelical Hermeneutics by Robert Thomas. Um, but there's probably a new one that the seminary is using. I don't know what it might be. I think his is out of print. But it's to find a, a good, just, it, it doesn't have to be complicated, but just a book about emphasizing hermeneutics. Um, there's a guy named Milton Terry. You probably can't find him because he's really old, but he's like the standard on biblical interpretation uh, called uh, Mil- Mil- Milton Terry. Yeah, Milton Terry. Um, but to answer your question, the context of the whole Bible helps us understand the context, like the, the wider context. I know that no one can pluck them out of Jesus' hand. If you go to the book of John, everyone the Father has given me, no one can take from me. So I know that's true. So when I go, and other places confirm the same thing. So when I go to the book of Revelation, and I read that I will take his name out of the book of life, then I have to compare those things and say, well, Jesus says no one can do it. Um, but And then, in fact, it says uh, even what Austin read today, and say, no one can take us away from God. No one can tear us from his side in the sense of our, our sanctification. But then when you go to the book of Revelation, you you have to sit there and say, in the book of Revelation, when he's making this statement, who is he talking to? And if if it's seemingly like he's going against what the other parts of Scripture say, then Scripture is completely consistent. So what is he saying? Well, how can he he be saying that? Well, what he's saying is he's talking to the churches, the five churches. He's talking to the people who will read this prophecy, and he says, don't let any of these words be taken out of it. And he says, in fact, as he's speaking at the very, very end, he says, blessed are those who wash their robes so they may have authority to the tree of life and may enter the gates into the city outside of the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexual moral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who lives in And he says this in verse 11 of chapter 2, let the one who does unrighteousness still do unrighteousness and the one who is filthy still be filthy and let the one who is righteous still do righteousness and the one who is holy keep himself holy. So you go, okay, is, is, is the Lord saying, I can take names out of the book of life. He's saying, if you're unholy, stay unholy. So that means he doesn't want, he says, if you are righteous, stay righteous. Does he want people to, the rest of the Bible says he doesn't approve of any of that. He, he, he mourns that. So what is he saying? And I would just narrow it down to, it's a warning. It's a warning, just like the book of, of Hebrews. It's a warning to those. When you read those words and you realize that your name could be taken out, Your name was never in there in the first place, but if you think that you're in the book of life, then be afraid because it will not be in the book of life when you come to that time. That's how I understand it. He's not taking, he's not saying he can take it out because Jesus says no one can take you out. He's saying that it will, I I have the power to do that. And so be wary of that as you live your Christian life, quote unquote, because you don't want to become, and I hope I'm not going too fast, 
You don't want to become uh, Matthew 7 that we talked about last time where it's like, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name and cast out demons and perform many miracles? They thought they were in the Lamb's book of life too. And they get to the throne and they find out that their names have been taken out. In other words, your expectation of who you were and what you were in Christ is wrong. So that's how I understand it. John, do you have anything to add to that? Now she's referring to Revelation 3, 5. Right. Uh, Revelation 3, 5. Um, if you go over to there to Revelation 3, talks about the fact the um, this is the angel um, and to the angel of the church at Sardis write. It's not talking about human, it's about that church. All right? And when you go down to verse 5, he says, he overcomes, will be clothed in white garments, then I will... N- never erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Now, later on, in chapter 13 and verse 8, and along with chapter 27 and verse 12, he talks about those individuals in the book of life, they will be written there, or they have been written there from the foundation of the world. But in terms of that church, it's equivalent to removing the testimony of that church away not losing your salvation, right? What he said. And also, um, <laughs> and, and also, that's why I told you. But, but again, the idea, because I see what you're saying in this angle, um, I will never erase his name from the book of life. The, the question is, can you erase the book? You're promising to me you never will erase, so that implies that you can erase. I think that's what the question is, too. And so, but it's a, it's a, it's a, a way of affirming I will never do that, not inferring that I have done that or can do that, but I will never do that to make it more positive and to make it more confirming. That's how I would. I didn't get your name. Candace. She said it. Candace, meaning I'm not sure if I get it, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes, yeah, so my question is in uh, Psalms 138, verse 2. It says you have magnified your, you have magnified your name. Does this imply that God has such a high estimation of his word that he has magnified it above his character? Or does it imply that above everything else, he wants us to believe him? Thank you. Say that one more time. It's 138.2? Yeah. Uh-huh. I will worship toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word according to all your name. That's the legacy standard. So, question. Yeah, does this mean that God has a high estimation of his word, that he has magnified it above his character? Or does it mean that above everything else, he wants us to believe him? Um. Accent is throwing me just a little bit, so say it one more time because I'm going to grasp it. Does this verse imply that God has a high estimation of His word? That God has high, high estimation, estimation of His, of his word. word uh-huh. That He has magnified it above His character. That He He has what about His magnified character? Magnified it. Oh, above His character? Yeah. Well, they're synonymous, and, and I think what He's if this is another verse with, that reminds me of. In Second Peter, 
I was just sharing this the other day. Second Peter talks about how though Peter was on the Mount of Transfiguration and what he saw was the glorious uh, unveiling of Christ uh, and all his glory, he says, I have a more sure truth in, in the Bible. You have a more sure, it's more sure than even me being there is the fact that you have the word of God. Now, is he saying that the word of God or his experience, uh, you know, is he saying his experience is not valid? No, he's just saying that I want you to trust the word of God. What I experienced, seeing Christ transfigure in front of me, uh, was true and honest and profound, and yet you weren't there, and therefore hold the word of God even more because it, it has much more it can validate than even that one experience of mine. How am I making the connection? Here, I have magnified your word according to all your name. Uh, I, I have magnified the word of God, your word, and even if you really want to go by implication, Jesus Christ as the word of God. I have magnified the word according to all your name. Not some translations say higher than your name, above, above your name. It's according to, you know, so in the same way, with, to make it on the same level, uh, to, to make the character of God and the magnification of God on the same level as his word so that we don't think, well, knowing God is different than his word or his word can't lead us to the knowledge of God or in some way the word of God is less than God himself. The way I think of it is this. I always, it always throws me when people say that, um, you know, well, God wouldn't do that, whatever it might be in life. God wouldn't do that. And my thought is, first of all, how do you know that God wouldn't do that? And what do you base that on? Because if you read his word, his word tells you who he is. His word doesn't tell you all that he is. God is more than his word. In other words, God is more than he's revealed to us, but everything he's revealed to us is truly God. So as much as finite human beings can comprehend the greatness of God, uh, we have what we need, full revelation. But the full revelation of God given to us in his accommodation, he's accommodating himself to us, isn't all that there is to God. I don't hope that doesn't sound blasphemous. God is more than what he's revealed, but he is exactly what he's revealed as well. So don't think of his word as being less than his character. He's saying, I have, I am, I'm, I've, according, again, let me read it one more time. Uh, um, I've already given it... Uh, You have magnified your word according to all your name. You have magnified your word according to to all that you are. You have lifted your word up so that that you might be glorified because it magnifies who you are. That's, I think, the right understanding of it. Now, what translation do you have? New King James. And uh, it says above. Here's the thing about the... King James and New King James. Uh, it's not a bad translation. It's very poetic, and it's, it's very, you know, the original King James. But they have different manuscripts that they come from. Uh, the New American Standard, the Legacy Standard, uh, the word-for-word word translations that we have have different manuscripts. And um, the manuscripts of the King James are um, sometimes are old and, and are trustworthy, but sometimes we've discovered other manuscripts that make what we have now more reliable. Um, John, what are, what are the differences of that? I'm trying to remember. I want to say uh, the King James is based on what manuscript? I'm forgetting. Uh, Texas Receptus. Texas Receptus. And, and that, is, that is what was known at the time. But so, so anyway, sometimes those little translations, little word changes, interpretation of the Hebrew uh, might not reflect 
better what the true sense of it is. And so here's a good thing to do. I would get, I would get a book or online, you can do it. I would get a few different translations. Uh, you can get the New King James. You can get the New American Standard. You can get the Legacy Standard. Um, and I would just compare them. And if you really want to do a great study, and again, some of this can be tricky, but you get to word choices. And you can find this online for free. And you go to a word, and you can double-click it, and it will bring the Hebrew word out, and it will show a new word depending on its context. And so, and it's a little bit more muscle that you have to put into it, a little bit more work. But once you do that, you start to see why the translation was either appropriate or how maybe it could have been translated a little bit better considering the context. I really believe that this legacy standard Bible that we have now from the Master's uh, university and seminary is the best one out there in terms of trying to find words that not only reflect the greatest sense of the of the meaning of the text, but also keep those same words all throughout, let's say the same Hebrew word that's reflected all the way through, let's say Genesis. They, they're trying to keep the word the same in the English translation to see connections all the way through, where sometimes modern translators will change the word just a little bit and still have a, a nuanced meaning that can be understood as, yes, that's true, but it takes away from the consistency of what the writers of the Old Testament and the New Testament were trying to emphasize by using the same Hebrew word or the same Greek word. So, this, I'm not saying, uh, this is what happens in my parents' uh, church when I was a young boy. Everybody would pass around the Bible and say, what does it mean to you? What does it mean to you? What does it mean to you? That's different because it doesn't, there's one meaning. It's just that there's different ways to understand it in the context that might make that, in fact, in this way, according to your word, it makes it much more clear as to what he's saying. He's, he's magnifying uh, his word according to all that he is, according to his name. One time, this was one of my biggest blunders ever. I was in front of the congregation just like this morning, and we had uh, different translations of the gospel out on the grace walk. And so I was announcing it, and I said, and just you go, please go out there. We have different, um, what did I say? Not translations. I said different versions of the gospel out on the, uh, <laughs> out on the, on the grace walk. And Pastor John, in his very gracious way, came up, and he goes, uh, Tom, there's only one version of the gospel. This is in front of everybody, but we have different translations, and I'm like shrinking, you know, and I'm like, um. so I, I never even mention anything about that except with people I love, so um. does, that, does, that, does that help? I think, it's, I think the, the translation of the New King James is, uh, leads you in a different direction other than the true sense of the uh, meaning, which is even if you said your word is above your name, it would be, wow, God's name is everything to him. And if he would magnify his word above it, he's trying to show that my word has ultimate meaning and, and, and veracity and truthfulness. But I wouldn't say, a little bit, it is confusing. So you say, well, how can your word be more than you? But if you go back and it's according to who you are, that makes total sense. And that's what the legacy standard says. So, yeah. Yeah. Has recently added the legacy. Oh, well. Legacy Standard Bible. Yeah. Yeah, it's free. So. Well, the Legacy Standard is free online too. So you don't have to buy leather. You can sit there and just go to Legacy Standard Bible. It's by, you can buy one at the 316 publishing house, but it's also free because sometimes before I come in, if I don't have my Bible like right there at my desk, I just go online and I just work offline with it. So someone else had a question though. Yeah. <laughs> He's nudging you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, my question, um, it's, um, 
Second Peter chapter two. Uh-huh. Yeah. Since uh, we spoke about limited um, election, I guess you understand my question, or do I need to ask? It's two to one, Peter. Yeah. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you. You will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's about um, section B, master who brought them, bringing this. Um, it doesn't say about that uh, God bought for his um, salvation for all people, mm-hmm. but they denied. Uh, yes. So what is about? It is <laughs> uh, well, these uh, false teachers who are among the there are every um, many. Well, I shouldn't say every many different books of the New Testament. Uh, I'm thinking of Acts when Paul goes to the elders at Ephesus and says, "Wolves will come out from within you." Like so, even from within the elders themselves, there will be people who are mis, uh, misguiding and and having falseness. These are false teachers among you, the people who are in the church who will see again, not overtly introduce destructive heresies, even de- denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction. So you're asking if they're denying the master who bought them. How can are they really saved? It says he bought them. So how? But how can they be saved if they're denying him? Is that what you're wondering? Yeah, uh, I think again, it's they're claiming that he bought them. They're they're actually saying I've been bought by the blood of Christ, but then they're denying the same master that they're saying bought them. They they they're not going to deny Christ if they truly belong to him. Again, going back to. It is possible that Peter, in his denials, could be seen that same way. You have Peter denying Christ, but Peter was a true believer, and he loved him, as we know at the very end of John. I love you, I love you, I love you. Judas, however, also denied him and cursed him, but he was the son of perdition, and therefore he was lost. He wasn't really saved. So in this case, what does it mean to deny him? I would sit there and say, if you're teaching false heresies, uh, to the point where you're saying Jesus bought me with his blood and yet I'm introducing heresy to him that saved me, you have great, great fear, I would say, of whether or not you belong to the master at all. I would assume that you don't belong to the master. Uh, and I would, I would be terrified. You're, you're not going to... I hope this makes sense. Every time... I, we were talking about this at the elders meeting the other night, or we weren't. John MacArthur said something. We were talking about membership, and we were talking about church membership, and how do you know someone is actually saved, you know, going through their testimony, because you don't have a chance to really look at their life. And John says, well, everything in the New Testament talks about there's going to be wheat and tares. He goes, so we, he goes I, I assume people at Grace Church that are members of Grace Church don't know Christ. I just assume that. Why? Because you can't know what you can't know. We, we can't peer into your heart and see what is the true condition, and, and nor can you. That's why Paul salvation fear. That's why he says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. So, but these guys who he's, he's warning them about, I would sit there and say, I don't know their position. My, the implication here is they're denying the master who bought them. I would sit there and say, you can put that in italics or uh, quotation marks. They deny him, and they say, just like Matthew 7, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy, but they didn't know Christ either. Yeah. Because they were teaching heresies. 
Oh yeah, which which even which makes it even worse. I mean, you could you could still teach something that's wrong and not know it's wrong, but you're still a false teacher. Uh, but it, he's saying these kind of heresies that they're they're denying the one that brought them. The the main note is they're false and don't have anything to do with them. Hang on, he says. Uh, he even says God did not spare angels who sinned, but cast them into the pit. So again, the analogy going back to. He's aligning these false teachers even with damnable heresies that even are sending angels to Tartarus or to the, the damning place of uh, punishment. The implication would be they are like them. So I would sit there and say, you'd be safer to sit there and think. Uh, I, I always think this way. I, I never actually think that false teachers are innocent. I always think that they're sheep in wolves' clothing. Uh, or shepherds in wolves' clothing. And so I assume, I don't know what God's going to do. He's God, but I assume they don't know him, and they're usually doing what they do to get influence and to make money. That's what I assume. Still, they have a chance to repent. Yes, of course. Because God says, if you love them, they have a chance to go back to Christ. Well, they ne- again, First John says, if you are in Christ, if you walk away from Christ, that means you were never in him. Uh, and so the question, it, the difference is the semantics of, again, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name and cast out many demons and perform many miracles? And I declare them, I never knew you. you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's probably the key verse, which is, you never practice lawlessness, so that's your life, but you say you know him. But you practice lawlessness, but you have religious works. You you say you're teaching the right thing, but it's destructive heresies. You say he bought you. So the problem is the problem is not for them. That's They're judged or not judged according to God. The, the question is, how do we trust them? How do we know who's what? And I would sit there and go, if the heresy or if the, what they're teaching is false, stay away from them. And then God will deal with them. If they think God bought them, they're going to have to explain that on the last day because every evidence is God doesn't know them. Hey, guys, we can be tricked. We can be tricked. We can be duped. I think, um, you know, like they say, uh, denial ain't just a river in Egypt, you know. Uh, it's, it's, it's just true. We can, we, can be so, we can be so bought into our religiosity that we don't even check to see if we're truly his. And then your question was, we can go a little over. You guys can leave any moment. This is like, I, I should have had like, Way more time. Anyway, um, you never are unsaved. You can never be damned forever unless you've committed the unpardonable sin, which blasphemed the Holy Spirit. If you attribute the works of Satan to Jesus Christ, if that's how twisted and perverse you have become, then God says there's no way to restore you. There's, there's, there's no restoration, meaning you were never saved in the first place, and you are damned. That's the unforgivable sin. And people have come to me before, and they say, Tom, I'm so scared I've committed the unpardonable sin. And I said, you have How do you know scared that you have? Because people who are people who've committed the unpardonable sin, they're not scared they've sinned against Christ. They invite it. They want it. They long for it. They've rejected him. They've apostatized. But other than that, look, there was a lady, I'm doing a memorial service tomorrow for a lady who didn't know, didn't know, didn't know, didn't know, finally on her deathbed, didn't know, didn't know, and at the last moment said, I want, I want Christ. I, I, I ask him to forgive me, and she died within the day. So you don't want to live like the thief on the cross. You don't want to live like I'll just wait till later because it'll be too late. But 
it is true that God does save, and the saving is up to him, and the timing is his, and no one is lost unless, it's, unless God just refuses to save because you have refused him. Um, there's always time. There's always a chance. As long as you understand, there's no time. There's always time as long as you realize it's today. This is what the scripture says. Today is the day to call on the name of the Lord. Okay. You had a question. I don't want to deny it before. You have it up because in and out so, probably had long lines anyway. Oh, dude, you're right. <laughs> um, so I'm doing a um, I'm doing a paper on um, the misinterpretation of Genesis one one verse two. Misinterpretation is gap theory. So I've read many articles, read um, many documents, watched many videos in an evolution um, atheistic perception and I wish interpretation if that's okay with you of <laughs> of gap theory yeah or of the like gap theory you know okay let me, yeah. it's gonna be so much um first of all Abner Child's the man to talk to about that right. so he he is the master on that one but John MacArthur also has a book that would just be so much have you read from the beginning uh his his treatment on Genesis 1 through 9 just just check that out because it's so much more thorough and it's it's going to be more helpful and I'm going to probably just butcher it if I try to explain it because he's better at it. But the gap theory is ero- basically bottom line is the the scripture restates what has happened, but there's no gap. It goes from a from a broad to a more specific, but there's no gap. Uh, was this helpful at all? Okay, so uh, I would do it again next week, but I've got to start this series. Um, if you want to stay, you can. If you want to go, you can. You can do anything you want to, of course. Uh, but uh, if you have more questions, tpatton at gracechurch.org. tpatton at gracechurch.org is my email. And maybe John and I will just do another Q&A, or John will do a Q&A. Uh, <laughs> And again, I hope it's helpful. And one of the reasons we do this also, and then I'll let you go, is because sometimes we come and we preach and you leave, and we preach and you leave, and we have some time together, but it's so good for us to know your heart. It's so good for us to know what you're thinking about, because that helps us, even in determining which psalms to preach from, it helps us to understand. So this is not extremely helpful. And for all the uh, questions or unspoken questions, again, we're always here. Um, and we just want you to know that we care, and don't take it to heart that we're going to the 370s. Just don't let it get to you, okay? All right, let me, let me pray. 360s, 360s, right above us. Father, there are so many questions, and what we're so thankful for are the answers that you have through just context and understanding and the resources that we have here at Grace Church and the ability to have elders and, and other deacons to speak to and ask and, and to try to find ways to comprehend what seems so large and so out of our means or out of our understanding to something that is simple and personal and profitable for all of us. Help us to use what we know in a way to apply our lives to your truth and bless us, not because of who we are or what we have done, but because of what your son has done on our behalf. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.